0: Welcome back everyone to Looking for the Ocean, the show where we watch everything that Pixar ever made and we talk about what it means to us. I'm Mark Young, I'm joined as always by Danny Vincent, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Evan Rowe. Let's uh, all applaud for Evan. Yay, Yay, Evan, we got a guest for the
1: Tomorrowland episode. Yeah, I just had a thought that's like... Our John Carter episode famously remained unbooked Uh, (laughs) Mm um no one wanted to come on for john carter
0: oh that's a shame because john carter actually like i think i'm going to think about john carter for more of my life than i will think about tomorrow i I, I
1: will say watching this definitely makes me more positive towards john carter (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah i haven't i I haven't
2: seen john carter i would probably like it and i think that's like a sentiment shared by like six billion people on earth that also didn't watch john carter we we were talking
1: yeah. we were talking about before we recorded about like how it's funny that Tomorrowland hasn't been Evan said that it's funny this hasn't been reclaimed like as a masterpiece by some people on film Twitter as an author's masterpiece. I think like John Carter is a much more interesting option for that. Cause there's cre- clearly good parts of John Carter. Tomorrowland eh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I really just I don't know. Well, before before we like depress ourselves 4 minutes in, not 4 minutes, I don't know why I've been recording so long. But uh, Evan, um could you tell us a little bit about like what's your connection to Danny? Yeah,
2: off? so I'm Danny's friend. We kind of uh met in like online film circles when I was actually like really young. And um, you know, I mean, you posting, talk about on, Kansas. Like, inter- yeah, posting on internet forums <laughs> and, and shit and being like And just generally being, like, a pain in the ass teenager, like, uh, uh, and basically I think we, we met, like, for the first time, actually, in, like, 2021 when I went out to Chicago. It was Um, Pixar-related. Yeah, that's Pixar-related, too. Um, but it was also nice to, you know, Mm. see the beans, see, you know, uh, the park, see the building, see the, (laughs) see the, the Chicago (laughs) and everything. Yeah. Um but also you know i've i've kind of always been pretty interested in film uh i would say i i was interested in pixar more as a kid than i am now but uh it does give me a good opportunity to talk about uh one of my uh probably like one of my favorite animated animation directors brad bird and i and also talk about his very terrible movie (laughs)
0: yeah why is he one of your favorites
2: I feel like he's just I don't know. I mean I I feel like probably Danny will have something to say about it, but I feel like he's one of the Pixar directors that really feels like he has an actual like distinct style to his uh filmography and specifically his fascination with like like 50s like space age retrofuturism, and like these pulp comics, I mean, and also specifically too cuz I I feel like The Incredibles is just like it's amazing that that movie exists the way it does. And that it came out in 2004 like that. I mean, it, it, I feel like it's, it's mature in a way that I feel like when people talk about animated cinema, when they say like, Oh, this is like a mature movie or something like this is actually a movie that adults can get something out of too. It's like, I feel like that's, that's more true of the Incredibles than it is out of like 95% of the movies that people, uh, animated movies that people talk about. I mean, it is, like um, from an animation perspective, how bird plays with like light and shadow from like like having like a literal like marital argument for two minutes and it just uh, halfway through the film's runtime like from a writing standpoint, from an animation standpoint from like a, a sound design standpoint as well just all these different things I mean, I feel like Brad Bird really kind of like elevated. That genre, uh, and specifically the superhero genre, it, and also elevated like computer animation to like a whole new level.
1: Would you say The Incredibles is cinema?
2: I would say it's cinema. Yeah, I, I would say uh, de- absolutely. Animation is cinema. Animation is not uh, a genre for kids; it's a medium. Uh, hey, does your top
1: ten of the year include animation? What does your top ten of 2023 include? An animated movie?
2: I have to get back to you on that
1: if it doesn't get out out.
2: i'll figure it out i'll figure i'll I'll throw in a i'll throw a bone for um i don't know uh what's that what's that what's that illumination that's coming out in a few weeks oh migration yeah yeah how about that we'll do that my boss today turns to me and goes did you guys see they're
1: making an animated movie based on 90 day fiance and i'm just like what are you talking about
2: now that now that would, would the top goes, it's it's that is the, that's like, the what? best that's one of the best shows ever like i don't care who you are that's one of the best shows ever well my boss thinks migration is an adaptation of it so
0: oh okay <laughs> What? How do you know they were talking about migration? How did you? Because they like, literally looked
1: up the movie after they said, "You hear about this movie? I gotta look it up." And they said, "Oh, it's called Migration." Ah, because so we were talking about what movie we're gonna show the kids on Friday, and she was like, "It's not on streaming." Sad. 90 Day Fiance. That'd be hilarious to show the
2: kids. I mean, I, I that show is so kind of about migration. You know, story. people migrate to the U.S. to have very bad relationships mm-hmm. that are doomed mm-hmm. to fail.
0: so speaking of relationships you kind of mentioned this earlier you you mentioned like you were more into pixar as a kid than as an adult do you think there was a, a point when that happened like what specific thing uh like turned you away from pixar
2: i don't really know i mean it's just probably just watching more stuff honestly like once you kind of venture out of that orbit and you're like like, watching a bunch of different stuff. I feel like 2013, 2014 was, like, a big year for that. That's, like, when I actually started watching the movies that were nominated for Oscars, I didn't just watch the Oscars and say I was a movie kid. Um, And I feel like as soon Mm -hmm. as I just started, I don't know, like, growing up, I kind of... I mean, growing, saying I grew out of it's kind of a strong word, but it's also kind of what happened. Um, But, I mean, I still like find things i enjoy about those movies and i still find things that i enjoy about their sort of i don't know like like buddy comedy road trip formula that they sort of implement a lot to uh, varying degrees of success but at the same time too um i don't know i feel like it's been a while since i've seen a pixar movie in like the movie theater or i've gone out of my way to watch like a new one which makes me probably the worst guest for this podcast
1: okay uh no you're off, not alone
2: first, first off
1: you literally flew or drove, How, however you got here, to go see Luca in a theater in I, I, I went, understand. Was I wanted to, to meet see up my with friends. friends and I wanted to eat, more... eat fish
2: pizza. It had nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> Luca was just here, I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, I Oppenheimer, this is... that was for the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, too, like, I mean, this is, has to be the best few weeks of your life, Danny. Now you actually get to go see it in a movie theater again.
1: I get to go see... All three, you know, I say that it's going to be great to see Soul in above a 1080p Blu-ray copy, but I'll be real, I'm actually most excited to probably see Luca a third time in theaters. It's my favorite of the three. I don't care. Like, it's it's just a great movie Yeah. that lives in the movie theater to me. But I will go see all three. We all know (laughs) that. Which is funny, because I I think we will hit all three within like a calendar year on the podcast, so (laughs) they'll be very fresh in my mind whenever we do the episode
0: yeah I get that too I think around the time that I shifted is not it's not just because of like when I went away to college or high school whichever like the time period is when Toy Story 3 comes out and there was like a shift in my life I also think it was because like like you said I started reading things like Watchmen and not to shit on Incredibles which was made by Brad Bird and I actually think is a good movie but it's but it is like once you see more things like that it's like oh just to use the example that you used, which is a good scene in Incredibles, but it's like, oh, they, superheroes have been having, like, arguments about their marriage since the the 80s or the 90s, whenever that came out. And it is, like, I don't know, I think like, Pixar is a good, like, gateway for kids to, you know, try other things and introduce them to new ideas that then they can, like, take off into their lives or something like that how would you like describe pixar the studio
2: uh something that danny talks about whenever there's a <laughs> that's, that's my relationship with pixar now
0: yeah i think that should that's my answer as well
1: I don't, I don't think it's just me though i think there are other people in our chat who talk about it. i think there are people who might go like this is the virtual oh, oh, animation I know. when leo gets delayed i log
2: like... i log in on telegram <laughs> there's like 500 messages about elemental and it I happened. don't even know what point that is. I never get the elemental discussions. I... I think elementals made. I don't
1: even I... know <laughs> what
2: that is. Like next year, there's going to be. Why are you year, going gonna on be, Telegram? Like, there's going to be. A, We're all know. on Telegram, Mark. I thought we've talked <laughs> about that before.
0: Well, it's it's not the most encrypted app for your Pixar discussions, is what I'm saying. It just seems I don't know. You're not on like GroupMe or. We're on Facebook Telegram. Messenger. I think it's because
1: of the Russia thing. We have some Russian numbers on there. That's what I always hear. Oh, That's okay. why Telegram. So Telegram. Gotcha. So, Does it,
0: like, translate things? No, I think it's just encrypted. I don't know. But how are you talking with Russians about Pixar?
1: I don't know. He doesn't usually join do the conversation.
0: <laughs> I don't <laughs> He kind of ignores the Pixar
1: talk. The guy, <laughs> talking about, the guy I'm talking about ignores those conversations. He talks I'm about get... shit He talks about I'm
2: cool movies. To... Perhaps he should watch Brad Bird's Tomorrowland.
0: I like that. I like that you want to talk about. You want to get this podcast on track, Evan. But we <laughs> have we have a few more things we have to check in about. Do, have you seen Turning Red?
2: I have seen Turning Red. Uh, that was a pretty. What do you good think of movie. it?
0: Okay. Nice. Okay. Cool. Cool. We just got to check in about that. And I, you know, I don't think we kind of breezed by this, but to go back to the very beginning, do you have a first Pixar memory?
2: Uh, I remember When I was little uh, I um, I Had a VHS copy of Finding Nemo and I believe on that They have like the short Film of like the snowman That plays before the movie And like we would just never start the movie Because I would constantly rewind To go back to the snowman Short I forget what it's called But uh, that's probably my First one and it was always surpri- I think surprisingly like it was always the first scene of that movie when like Nemo's mom gets killed and we never made it to the part where she gets killed. Cause I was just like, I just want to go back to the snowman. Uh, <laughs> so I never had that, uh, traumatic childhood memory from, a, a kid's movie. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was probably like my first gotcha. encounter with Pixar. I remember being very scared of the Incredibles when I was younger. I've probably because the Why? first scene of that movie is like, uh, like a, a bank robber loading like a, a like a basically like a gun and just shooting it at a bunch of cops, like driving through like a city street and then just being like this is just too much for me at like six years mm-hmm. old to take in uh and i and i was wrong at six years old because that's a good yeah. movie
0: well all right i think we cannot delay any longer it is time to discuss Bradbird's Bird's Tomorrowland. Alright, Tomorrowland! Just, just a preface, guys. Just a preface. I think we can't go too
2: negative on this movie because it might destroy the world.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> it's but just this something is to a, keep in mind.
1: This is a detour <laughs> episode because it's not a Pixar movie, which makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, Alright, some facts about Tomorrowland. This comes out on Memorial Day weekend of 2015, uh, it is the big Disney pet temple. It is the big Disney bomb. Uh, it does not make much money. It gets very mixed to negative reviews. Uh, yeah, Brad Bird signs on to direct it before he even finishes Mission Impossible 4 as his next project. Uh, Damon Lindelof comes up with the original idea, but Brad Bird, I would say, I think you can see a lot of both there styles here but i do think it is more a bird thing than a lindelof thing granted i don't think lindelof has really made a move has he made a movie like on his own i don't know if he has really no he's more of a writer
2: Um, so it's it's always been more like yeah exactly whatever tv series he's doing or like whatever like watchman watchman connection yeah exactly um yeah i mean i feel like at the time too like people uh really jumped on lindelof for this one Especially for the ending, but this feels like a like a Brad Bird movie, like through and through. It definitely feels this like this feels a, like a passion project, which is like, which just makes it more of like a like a colossal disappointment because it feels like his whole career has been leading up to this moment, and it just just completely shatters uh, halfway through yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah. Halfway, I
3: think
1: it shatters way before that. <laughs> yeah, that's being generous.
2: <laughs> I realize that
1: now. Um.
0: Yeah, it is It is funny watching this and having done this whole podcast, Danny's... And, I mean, a bunch of people talk about Brad Bird as an auteur. Um, we kind of talked about this a little bit before we got on air. But, like, people talk about Brad Bird as an auteur all the time. And you kind of like, well, I don't know, I guess you can kind of see it in The Incredibles or Ratatouille. And it's like, oh, we can talk about the themes. And then you get to this and it's like, holy shit. It's like... It's This is like the center of the web that I, connects everything else and just cracks everything wide open.
1: I know. also, I, I, I got to point out here also is that with all that said, it's like Tomorrowland is, I lost my train of thought, sorry. I was going to say something about Brad Bird, probably. Oh, no, no, no. Here's the thing. Here's what I was going to say. Although this does feel like the centerpiece of Brad Bird's writing to me, I think this is by far his most sloppy directed film. Because Ghost yeah, it it Protocol is it so focused. Bad
2: about it. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I just want to, like, jump off of something that you pointed out, Danny. This was released Memorial Day weekend in 2015, like, a week yes. after, like, Fury Road came out. That Like, what a fucking, like, that awful is a timing big, uh, right there. Awful, awful timing. Like, that you is have,
1: a... Uh... Sorry, go on.
2: Yeah, you have, like, this, like, just mind bender of a movie that just rips everybody's face off and yeah it's like a dystopian like exactly it's the thematic out counterpoint to this film it's the thematic <laughs> counterpoint to this movie and it's like at that time you know it's the best thing anybody has ever seen or at least seen in like a long long time and this movie just comes out a week later being like hey it's you know it's it's bad to enjoy that and people are just like Okay, like I don't care. No. Like I just watched like uh the this the craziest like post-apocalyptic like action, non-stop action movie uh of all time.
0: No, well, I know this being all about optimism. I think that this is far more depressing than Fury Road. Fury Road is about people triumphing over adversity and Oh, oh, Danny's, Danny's Can we making hand gestures. slow down for a
1: second? Because I want to do this whole period description, but I want to build up to it in a way. Sorry. And sorry. the reason I say this... No, no, it's okay. But I know, Mark, this was your first
2: time seeing this movie, and I'm jealous
1: of you. Evan, was this also your first time seeing this movie?
2: No, my relationship with Tomorrowland goes way, way back. I mean, I was... <laughs> I Holy talk about shit. that like it's an actual relationship. No. <laughs> this is a movie I was really excited for before it came out because like i was also like brad bird on the retrofuturism kick when i was a kid like i love sci-fi and this was like about the coolest part of disneyland for like me at 14 years old and then it comes out and it's like uh, it's, it's it's not really about you know like tomorrowland it's not even about the aesthetic it's more about like brad bird just like shaking his head at like people, it's old man yelling at clouds as a block, and talking about things that are happening in the world that are very, very important. Um, but to be honest, the reason I keep coming back to it is because it is just like such a fascinating failure of a movie. I mean, like once again, it is the culmination of all of Brad Bird's like pet themes uh, and sort of like imagery in his entire career. This is basically a passion project for him it's all supposed to like come together and make this big statement and at the same time too it just feels so like incredibly unfocused and and just haphazardly made and so bizarrely like disconnected as a narrative film that um it just it's it really is like watching a car crash in slow motion you just can't look away i've seen it probably like five times now which is probably what? more yeah which is probably more than I i've seen some know. of my favorite movies just trying to investigate like what happened almost like i would say three years ago i almost convinced it my myself who was actually good and then we got to the uh to the keegan michael uh key and Catherine hahn portion of the movie and i was like we have this to is, talk about this is not very like... good yeah i do have like notes for the 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 narrative of the movie if we want to go through that no, step by step. We, we
1: will, but can I just give you my history because I was the thing. Is I wanted to talk about my history because I have a distinct movie memory with this one. Yeah, okay. Um mm-hmm. and it was that, you know, um I came, you know, this comes out moral Day weekend. A uh, week before is when I come back from SIU where Mark and I went to undergrad. And the first thing I do when I come back is I go see Mad Max Fury Road with my friends, obviously, cuz that's what everyone did as they came back from college that year. Cuz it was yeah. the week before was Mad Max Fury Road um and then the next week uh, i hadn't seen a movie yet with my parents and the drive-in was showing tomorrowland and avengers age of ultron which i'd already seen age of ultron but my parents like the marvel movies and moreover my dad has always been someone who is weirdly like very not only very supportive of me like being like oh this director is great he usually actually falls along with it so he's like oh brad bird he did mission impossible 4 and the incredibles and I love Tomorrowland. Let's go see this. And we see this. And let me tell you, a drive-in setting for this movie is simultaneously ideal and also, like, the worst. Because I feel like I paid attention <laughs> to it about the same amount I could at home today than I did 12 years ago at the drive-in. Or whatever this movie came out. No, sorry. Um, what is this? Nine years... Eight years ago now at the drive-in. Um, And I remember watching at this time going like, surely it's better than I remember because... I've seen a lot of arguments for it over the years, where it's like, no, this is actually like—it's not even that this is good. No, this is actually like a three out of five movie, right? Like that's the argument I've seen. It's like, no, this is actually a perfectly decent film. It's, it's not, not a bad, bad film. but it's not
2: it's... good either.
1: Exactly. I'm like, all oh, right, I'm open to it being that, and then I put it on, and I'm like, no, this is terrible. Still, this is movie. And we we have to put this on the record, also in the podcast. This movie is not on Disney Plus.
2: Yeah, they 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 <laughs> bury this fucking thing. They really it's, wanted to bury it.
1: I I wonder mean, if George Clooney wants to bury it. Let's be real
2: here. Yeah. George
1: Clooney probably is like, I don't want people making memes out of this.
2: <laughs> what memes are there to make out of Tomorrowland?
1: <laughs> Him making Google Apps at a twelve
2: yeah, year old robot? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. No, we we don't even need to get into that. <laughs> it's,
0: uh no i I mean i think there's a good image in him like yelling at the camera in the very first scene can you you can just put whatever subtitles you want under that
3: yeah
1: do you like how i I feel like the opening scene of this movie is such a clear like reshoots thing like such an obvious like what are you talking about what are you talking about that
2: that's like that's uh that absolutely was not a studio note Okay. That was that okay. was absolutely Well beneficial.
1: then why why when George Clooney appears for the first time 40 minutes and he's in shadow and given a grand reveal when we already mm. see him dead <laughs> on in the first scene? Yeah. <laughs> like, I know you're being sarcastic, but I just have to say for the listeners what exactly happens in that. Because <laughs> he's, he's hit it. He's, it's a big build-up to reveal that George Clooney's in the movie that's being marketed as George Clooney in Tomorrowland. <laughs> yeah. um, but, okay, I, I said I paused you because I wanted to talk about Fury Road. And the reason I said that was because I remember, even in 2015, seeing this movie... And sitting there doing that Hugh Laurie monologue where it talks about, like, how awful it is that people make dystopian fiction. I think two things. One, I think the thing you said about Fury Road, which I literally just saw a movie last week set in dystopia that is miles more creative than this, based off an old property, and makes me feel so much more hope and euphoria by the end of it. Also, it just makes me think, damn, Brad Burt saw The Hunger Games in 2012 and left very mad that it was a successful movie. <laughs> Like,
2: <laughs> i mean maybe, maybe is oh, there sorry, something
0: Mark. to that no i just, I don't know i'm not really saying anything but like that is interesting that hunger games did come out and it, it was this big hit and then tomorrow land is like a response to that but i mean i don't know these things take forever to make so it's hard to make those connections yeah so
2: i guess just to start from the beginning do we want to just start from the beginning of the movie we already kind of talked about the intro but like uh You know, we get this very obviously not the product, the studio notes, uh, introduction. (laughs) George Clooney and Britt Robertson, their characters, you know, doing all this witty banter to convince us that we're going to have a fun time. Just to let us know that, you know, like, this is going to be a fun movie and you're going to have fun, damn it. So enjoy it. You know, Mm -hmm. I hate to talk negative about Tomorrowland, but...
1: 'Cause I don't I don't want the world to end. But mm-hmm. um And specifically I hate talking negative about like performances where the actor's career fell apart because the movie bombed. But I think it's really funny that George Clooney is like trying so hard to tap into his charm. And I don't think he really ever gets there totally. But then you have uh what's her name? Is her name Britt Robertson? I keep wanting to say Britt Marling. Yeah, Britt Robertson. I feel like she feels so phony in this movie, but to her to her um compliment or whatever i think the role is just so
3: terrible
0: (laughs) the role is
2: just so flat yeah
0: (laughs) yeah it is interesting like this seems like a part that would have been great uh, with like josh brolin or like hugh jackman or those guys that you can kind of fuck up a little bit you know
1: I don't think Josh Brolin's a big enough star To sell this big Disney movie I think
2: George Clooney is just too like Grizzled he just comes off too like Angry you can't have him as the lead In like your Disney family film Like even if it is supposed to be A serious statement which is funny That it even tries to be a serious Statement
1: I would like to see the version of this where uh, George Clooney is in John Carter And Willem Dafoe is in Tomorrowland (laughs) Again, that went too well at the box office. we well, the phone, yeah. shut up, girl. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Honestly, I'm not super familiar with a lot of like the Disney, you know, direct to video or online product, but aren't they all a little bit like messagey? Here's a hot guy. Here's a pretty girl. This wasn't like, direct. This was a theater mark. This was a box. Yeah, I know. This, this made- <laughs> yeah, but it has it. It's it has the same vibes, you know. I'm just saying that, like, for all of these live-action Disney products, there's I mean, something, like, wholesome about them. I, I will say this. So, it's kind one, of, like, inevitable that you have to have George Clooney maybe, like, I don't know, struggling to be charming in a difficult role about a bitter old man.
1: One one movie yeah. that kept popping in my head watching this, and it's because it's the end of these, like, because John Carter's a blank check. Uh, Tomorrowland's a blank check, and the last one was Avu Duvernay getting a wrinkled timeout, and that is also a heavily flawed movie that I actually probably like the most of all three of them because it has like Oprah becoming a giant in it, and like Mindy Kaling like being like quoting Hamilton, and it's supposed to be like an emotional moments. Oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like it's it, that one's like a mess where I have to respect it because it does feel <laughs> like highway robbery in a lot of ways. Oh Jesus
2: With, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's right. a nightmare but so it's anyway. a nightmare i enjoy watching <laughs> okay so anyways so anyways we get we open with this intro yes. and then you know like george Clooney is like the world's a scary place you know there's tons of bad things mm-hmm. happening on the news that you have to watch and it makes us all very depressed <laughs> the news is so scary and then, yeah the news is extremely scary in this movie uh and then uh the news Brit, is the bad guy. Yeah, the news is the bad guy. Wolf Blitzer, <laughs> like you're it's on site. Hugh uh, Laurie
1: plays the news.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because they have been government the news. And Governor exactly. The news. And then and, and Britt Robertson's like like no it's not old man. Stop being such an old man, old man. And why don't you segue into a really good flashback scene? And George Clooney's like, Alright, then I will. So And then Judy Greer
3: appears.
2: And and we have the... uh, No, not yet. We have the 1964 New York World's Fair, which is the real opening to this movie, and I actually think this is like probably the best part of the movie, or as good as it will get. I think it's like... Probably, yeah. The closest that Brad Bird comes to sort of fusing his sort of retrofuturism ticks and an actual and channeling that into like a uh an actual um I don't know sense of wonder and intrigue um that doesn't feel like super hokey or like not
0: genuine um I don't mm. know
2: you guys if you you guys want to like go off
0: No of well a I specific just specific segment I mean I I don't know I just I kind of felt like it was a little bit like I've seen a lot of this before and maybe it works better than i mean just this definitely works better than the brit character who who knows what the fuck her name was
1: casey newton
0: casey newton New- newton did anyone else here get
1: confused by george clooney's characters being frank walker because i kept thinking of frank welker like the famous <laughs> voice actor <laughs> and knowing that brad bird is an animation guy like why would you name your main character frank walker when frank welker is like very like prolific voice actor well i'm willing to bet it's probably in the additional voices of this film i don't know i can't fact check that but feels like he would
3: be
0: yeah i well you know what now now that i'm thinking about it i don't I, I swear to God, I watched this movie and I really tried to pay attention <laughs> and I'm like I'm like unsure when certain things happened. Like you're telling me <laughs> that that Casey is there to reassure him and I'm like, didn't that happen like
2: like it happens thirty minutes times in? This
0: movie, to be clear Yeah, well but, I'm I'm like, what the hell? All right, let me help Casey you. Mark. Let me up.
2: help you Mark. <laughs> So this open, you know, the opening prologue, you know, we see young George Clooney. He's at the 1964 World's Fair. <laughs> They're playing. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. Like it's all classic, like sort of 50s, 60s nostalgia. Like when people thought the future was going to be better and we were going to have jetpacks. And that's exactly what he uh, brings to Hugh Laurie, who I guess is like a, a judge for new inventions. And he brings this a uh, prototype for a uh, a new jetpack. And Hugh Laurie, of course, is like, oh, I I don't understand what this is supposed to be. Like, what's even the utility of this uh, thing? Just evolving into Britishisms. And, you know, young George Clooney is like, well, you know. I don't like Hugh Laurie when he
1: doesn't have facial hair. Yeah. Can I have that on the record? He needed to have facial hair. Yeah, Dr.
2: House, he needs to have facial hair. (laughs) otherwise i don't i don't know it's him and i get scared i get scared very easily
1: it's it's how i thought he was the news okay
2: yeah exactly (laughs) so i think uh if i remember correctly george clooney young george clooney says you know well you know the reason i built it and the reason that it's you it's actual purpose is because if i saw someone flying around with a jetpack i might be inspired to do something uh better and this is the first time out of a hundred times that Brad Bird and Damon Lindelof tell us the theme of the movie outright. Um, to which yeah. uh, this um, young British girl, played by Rafe Cassidy, is that how you say her um, name?
1: Yeah, yeah. She went on to be playing young Natalie Portman in Vox Lux. Oh yeah, that's be a better good better performance. Look, I don't think the movie's good, but I think it's a good performance in that movie. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's how I put it. I, I'm just saying because I don't think sh- I don't think anyone in this movie is good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying, but this yeah. child actor does have another good performance out there. So don't think I hate this child actor. <laughs> Much like the little brother is the little kid from Looper.
2: Oh, yeah. Jeez, I don't oh. even remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh my <laughs> god that's another thing You're... too young george clooney and uh brit robertson's uh younger brother was way now. too similar in this movie it's extremely confusing but
0: y'all are y'all are forgetting the biggest casting jump scare confusion judy greer you... not judy greer judy is in this
1: movie for one second it doesn't make <laughs> any sense <laughs>
0: Y'all, y'all don't even know what I'm talking about because you don't watch the best, one of the best television shows of all time. I'm talking about the jump scare of young young George Clooney's father being Frank Sabatka from The Wire season two, oh my god. played I by Chris Bauer. I, I wish. But I, like, oh my god, unchanged from his character that he plays in that
1: i'm yeah. looking this up now Tomorrowland <laughs> for this actor yeah he, he. you're right yep he's in the well, tomorrow yeah. of course there is there's always a wiki for everything we talk about yeah. on this
2: show so so yeah so so this this little british girl is like i you know this kid he you know he might not have a jetpack that works but he has sort of a heart the uh um, the passion and the uh interest in creating a better future that is needed in tomorrow land the uh alternate dimension it feels like it's never really explained well in the movie they
1: do say it's an alternate dimension though when they take the That's... rocket from paris yeah exactly <laughs> <To> get... <laughs> it's this sort of this sort
2: of space that exists outside of our space and time where essentially the greatest minds and inventors can gather very bad a better society for tomorrow and so she gives him a pin and he goes into it's a small world and uh ends up taking this um i don't know like uh it's almost like a little subway car that just warps uh in and out of time into tomorrowland um where his jetpack you know gets fixed starts working and then it's this wondrous great scene of him flying around Oh, it's like so whimsical and positive
1: and you know, optimistic. He doesn't fix it himself. A robot fixes it. A robot. It for him, yeah, so I don't that's give that's a shit. True. He didn't do anything. He didn't. Yeah, he, he just, didn't work for it. He just showed up. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but I guess the reason I like I mean, the robots. Yeah.
0: What? Oh, I just I don't know. I think the robots are well directed. I think that that I action think they're is very, actually. Uh, I think they're I very think...
1: poorly rendered they looked very well they're to
0: me. they're a little cartoony but like i just think that the way he uses the weight of the characters and I, I think that like violence in this movie has a real impact well actually well not when they're fighting the french guys later oh, on, i like when
1: the, the robots kill <laughs> the cops that's pretty fun i do like the cartoon
0: the violence robots kill
2: the we could probably get into that later yeah. um but I guess just one last thing to say about this segment for me. If, I don't know if you guys have like any more thoughts on it. Like, I do kind of like it because I feel like it's it's what this movie really should have been, and it's like feels like the movie that they were trying to make, where it's all these sort of callbacks to like you know the space age era and like all that imagery fused with something a little more futuristic, sort of bringing back those that old imagery and stuff. But I mean, this is like you know. It, it 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 peaks like, 15 minutes in, and then it just. Like, I, got, all I got I got to be
1: real. I just think this kind of becomes this thing where it's like in 2015 I probably didn't care about it in this way. So this is why I think the movie's worse. But now I see this whole thing that begins with like, wow, look at the world's fair where we're playing Disney songs, and he gets to ride. It's a small world to go to a magical land where it's the future that Walt Disney helped found himself. And I'm just like, this is <laughs> awful. It's, I Yeah, I it's hate a bit this. of uh, a <laughs> very Disney adult.
2: It's almost like a preview of like their sort of a uh, corporate like self massaging that they would. And it's uh, weird because, because you'd think Brad Bird would decade. know not to do it. Yeah, you know. I feel like he he just loves it though. I mean, he loves that that sort of uh, I don't know, like um, he just loves Disney, which you know he's probably wrong, but. but uh, you know he.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's where like that the actual optimism passion of Walt really comes Disney. Through. And like he sees himself as being a kind of Walt Disney guy, and that he's like an innovator in the same way that Walt was. Yeah. And they identify for those reasons. Exactly. This he's reminds a me of fan
1: adult. fiction I read once mm-hmm. about Butch Hartman.
2: Butch Hartman. What. This reminds me of
1: a fan fiction I read once as a child.
2: Oh my Paul god. Alright, so anyways. Moving <laughs> we're going to like to go on with that? Okay. Yeah.
0: Anyway. So, so, so then after that. great about real people, guys. Yeah.
2: So after that, we get an introduction uh, to Grit Robertson's character, Casey Newton. Most memorable character in Brad Bird's entire filmography. Judy Greer mm-hmm. appears in this movie for like a minute, off camera mostly. Uh, and they never
1: explain you, you think it's gonna be somewhere it's like my mom died and it's gonna be backstory yeah no,
2: no it just never happened. she's never involved
1: she's just oh well, that's yeah. what
0: that's what I remember she died I was like who
1: is No, no she's well the movie doesn't tell you what happened they don't say she died I don't think they say she died
0: well she's not around I don't know if she <laughs> yeah, went she to that she went to that place where all Disney like all the Disney um widowed uh what, what 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 what's like the name? Is there a name you know how every in television shows you have like one single parent. What's the name of the dead spouse? Is there like this is just a trope, but I wish they had I'm a fun sure there's name. I a TV know's
2: page for it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I just I don't know. I I wanted to have a fun name. Anyway, she goes before, away before, wait, wait, to the before, negative space.
2: Before we break
1: down the next the rest of the movie, can we just talk very briefly about the overall pacing of this film,
3: because
0: glacial.
1: Because nothing happens <laughs> it's not a, for any There isn't any better minutes. word to describe it, Mark. Nothing happens. Yeah. For the, nothing happens for the first hour until about ten minutes after she meets George Clooney. Because even when she meets George Clooney, nothing is happening. And then they suddenly just—and this is me jumping ahead, definitely—but they suddenly decide, "Oh yeah, there's a rocket in Paris we can just take." There's no conflict in getting the rocket. They just go to it, which takes another 20 minutes of nothing really happening. It's just them walking through hallways for 20 minutes. And finally, I check my timer. It's like, you are 90 minutes into the two-hour movie, and things are finally starting to happen. But even then, it's just people talking. Yeah. (laughs) This movie has nothing going on in it for the entire runtime. (laughs) I just want to. I want to have that out there, like while well, we yeah, break this down. Exactly. Like, keep in mind that nothing yeah. is happening during any of this. Yeah, you know, there's right? a lot
0: of driving in cars and that kind of thing. And
1: asking questions, going, like, "Don't worry, I'll answer it later." Don't <laughs> worry, I'll answer it later. Very <laughs> yeah. mystery yeah. box.
2: Well, we we get yeah. a um an introduction on a motorcycle, and it's uh, there's this really like hard blues rock riff going on, like all these yeah. this. Very this really Star Trek badass looking person on a motorcycle, and then they take their helmet off, and then what the heck? It's a girl!
0: It's Britt Robertson. Ah, like, no, uh,
2: and you're supposed to be no. shocked by that. And I was just shaking my head. I'm like, Brad, you know better than that.
0: <laughs> like, I mean, I was a little shocked because I really thought that it was like the evolution of George Clooney's character, and I, I, the time jump kind of like. Mutt <laughs> scream. Like, was like, was like what? what the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, this, so, this
1: is, I do think this yeah. is very actually. Um, you guys, you've both seen Star Trek 2009. I feel like this is very much. It's a girl on a motorcycle going up to look at a spaceship. It's literally the opening of Star Trek
2: 2009 with Oh it Chris Pine feels Pye very and Kirk. like like it's trying to be sort of like that. Um, it's got like know, JJ H. Abrams sort of like revisionist take on everything. Like, um, mm-hmm. I'll be real though, like.
1: That... I definitely, I would prefer, this is me, hot take, I'd prefer, like, an easy 3 out of 5, like, Super 8, than, like, this this mediocre. Like, you know what I mean? I'd never watch something that's forgettable, but, like, decent to watch than what Tomorrowland is. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't but, know, you know, it's, I like that we're talking about the plot. I'm just, dis- I'm, like, distracted because... My initial experience with this movie, of course, happened yesterday, but <laughs> I, I don't know how y'all felt. Like this, this movie like made me angry. You know, like, like angry I that just... you
2: wasted your time on it.
0: Well, uh, but I'm used to that. At, at, we watched at, Strange this Magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, that's this, true. This this, this movie...
2: really is like the the complete Pixar collection. Like you guys go to like every. Like,
1: uh... we so have to watch Rock Dog. Y- oh my god. What the fuck
0: is that? <laughs> Dude, yeah,
2: don't you- look
1: at it, up, Mark. you quit the podcast. <laughs> it's like a Sisyphean
2: <laughs> task. You're just gonna keep rolling the boulder up the hill, and you're never gonna reach the top.
0: It's just <laughs> been awful lately. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Like, this is why we need to watch The Boy and the Heron. Just so hey, we- shit. we're gonna
1: finally hit, like... I know you don't like Inside Out, but Inside Out is such, like, a... Like... Stuff up from what we've been watching
3: recently it really
1: is. well
0: i don't know i'm not going to comment on it now but my memory of inside out is that it is it is like this movie it's very uh it's it's like oversimplified it at least has everything.
1: jokes it at least has jokes
0: <laughs> actually this has one joke in it that i liked which is kind of probably like a hack joke but it's at the very end when she's like oh i'm in like this emotionless robot And I'm dying, spoilers or whatever. But she's like, (laughs) and do you want to know why I never laughed at you, George Clooney? And he's like, why? And she's like, because you're not funny. And I think that's a pretty (laughs) good joke for a robot to tell. Um,
1: I like, um, the one thought I had joke-wise during this was more because I have a running joke of um, my, my girlfriend about people getting hit in cars in movies. And uh, when uh, the girl got a pet car in the movie, for not, the first time, immediately texted her about it. But then also, I was like, "This would be like great for like if this was on Disney Plus for that Disney Plus no context Twitter account to just tweet like this girl get pet car <laughs> and just guys, cut it for
0: like flying out of
2: frame." <laughs> guys, we're talking about the ending of Tomorrowland. We haven't even. Under, we don't even know why no, like Britt I'm, Robertson is not there. I just, I,
0: I just had to experience this in order once. No, it's okay. It's I'm the trying to that. run away. They need to understand why they so, don't know. They don't first know. Off, All right. So ca- car time. Brit's on a. Anyway, Brit's on a she, motorcycle. She's on a motorcycle. She wants to
2: save Cape Canaveral from exactly. being torn she down. Wa- she just wants. She wants the rockets to to go into space, and right now they're taking she's, down the platform where they s- launched the rockets because. The thing, first thing we really learned about her character is that she wants, she believes in the better future, and she wants, you know, the she's rocket. She's generic. What? <laughs> she, she's so generic. She's just Yeah, generic. I know, exactly. <laughs> <real>. Let's actually <laughs> talk she, about what, Britt Robertson's, the like, the casting is? choice of Britt Robertson in this movie. Like, she was 25 when she made this. This is, like, the worst character for a 25-year-old actress to play. I just
1: feel. I honestly just feel bad for her. Let's be real. I just feel really bad. Like I don't have an opinion (laughs) on Britt
2: Robertson as an. I don't even. I don't know any other Britt Robertson movies, like. But I mean, she's she's basically playing like a preteen in this.
1: She's got a show, I believe. Um, Yeah, she was on. Wasn't she on the Oa?
2: No, maybe. God, I don't even remember. That's like a Netflix thing, right? No,
1: she's not. She's not on the Oa. I don't know what she's in. I don't know what happened to her career. Probably this movie. Yeah uh, that's so funny. probably it. Look, on
0: I the like... on the voodoo, um on the voodoo movie art, she looks like George Clooney's younger movie wife. And that's <laughs> what I thought going in. And no, no, that's she's part like 15 years going... old
2: canonically in this movie.
0: Yeah. Well that's part of what the surprise was and part of my confusion about the time jump when she takes off her helmet is I was like, Holy shit, did George Clooney like ditch this robot girl for his cool wife but no she's about... 15 and she's like the daughter of another guy the you brit
1: know. i'll say this about this introduction sequence there's this one montage in it that i think is so funny that's her just in school going for every class and like it's, it's the news is attacking her okay it's like
2: everything <laughs> oh like god yeah we need collapses. to talk about that scene That's, like, the most baffling scene in the movie for me because I don't know whether he's trying to, like, look at this stuff from, like, a child's perspective or if this is, like, how Brad Bird actually feels about, like, current events. Because we get all these, like, mm -hmm. teachers. They're all, like, um, discussing things like how bad it is that nuclear weapons exist, how bad it is that, like, climate change is happening. the, The polar ice caps we get like authoritarian the rise of authoritarianism and then we get there's someone
1: talking about reading 1984 and there's New and World.
2: there's old yeah exactly and there's Casey Noonan with her hand up in class just begging for her question to be uh to be asked and then she asked her question and she's like is there anything we're doing to fix it and, it's like... and the teacher's just completely <laughs> and you're supposed to like what with I, this. I, I, what do you mean what we're just is <laughs> supposed to be negative way? Is this
1: way? <laughs> Mark texted me, this is God's not dead for atheists. And I think this was, might have been the yeah.
3: that
1: triggered that. This does just, feel it, very much like a professor. What about this? And the professor's like, what? <laughs> what are you, why are you questioning me? Yeah,
2: I mean, like, this is just, like, I feel like it's the problem in the movie, like, crystallized in, like, one scene, where it's, like, you have all these, like, legitimate problems that are preventing, like, probably a the development of, like, a better future for humanity like climate change like the uh, proliferation of nuclear weapons and then it's like the uh the sort of um the immature response up to, that to read is like, well there's just not enough ideas being like that people are coming up with to solve them or that people just aren't being like optimistic about them enough or believing that you can change something which like I mean this is a children's movie. Like this is trying to be like a children's fable, but at the same time too, it's trying to like seriously incorporate like these this... like real problems and this is how it deal like attacks them head on.
1: Uh, as someone who always makes fun of the similar scene in Interstellar, I think Interstellar does so much better job. Oh my god, than this... on Matthew McConaughey's side. Interstellar <laughs> is like what this movie scene... wants to be. I just see him being her, her being like and, like, we're supposed... This is supposed to be, like... We're still, in like, getting yourself endeared to the protagonist, right? Mode. Yeah. I think we're only supposed to like her because she looked at the stars once with her dad and her mom as a kid. Because as soon as she's doing this, I just feel bad for the rest of her classmates. I feel bad for her teachers. i like, this kid is a brat. <laughs> and, like, no one should yeah. be listening to her because yeah. she doesn't know anything. And, like, no, this is, this is supposed to endear us to her. This is supposed to make us be like, yeah, she's the plucky hero of this no i just like she, i'm like these poor teachers having to deal with this every day because yeah. she probably ask this every day because she talks to her dad like this like i'm just like she's so insufferable it's like i'm an optimist I'm like no you're not you're just you You don't exist i mean you're yeah no and really like, like you in real life her,
2: <laughs> in like the previous scene before this her little brother asks, like why are they taking down like the space shuttle platform and she's like because people are afraid of ideas <laughs> I, I have it written down actually because it's hard to have ideas and it's easy to give up
1: which is again like interstellar does the same exact thing with nolan's shitty dialogue but like it makes so much more sense and like feels like actually like i always make fun of the line in interstellar where mcconaughey goes like like when the person's like We we need to get rid of those machines for more farming or something like that. Yeah. And McConaughey goes, you know, one of those machines is called an MRI. And if my if those were still around, my wife wouldn't have died of brain cancer. Motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) and it's like the most nolan exposition line ever and i make fun of it but also it works like yeah does the job more than any of the clunky dialogue in this movie i'd rather have nolan clunky dialogue than brad bird damon lindelof
2: clunky dialogue yeah
0: Mm. (laughs) so on top of all this oh sorry mark i was quiet there for a moment because i was looking up like the first known instance of the two wolves story. Okay. <laughs> the two wolves in this inside movie. of you. Oh there God. are two wolves.
2: A good movie and a bad movie. This movie <laughs> fed the wrong wolf. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's but the thing is that surprised me is on the wikipedia page where i was gonna find the history is it uses the example from Tomorrowland as like the main example and i was like surely this doesn't come from this movie and it doesn't it's older than that but i i wonder if this is the movie that put the joke into people's minds around 2015 and then people started making the memes about it but, oh, yeah. So,
1: Britt Marling, Britt Brit Robertson, sorry, the Brits. Please do. Um, the Brits are the Daughter of
0: Tim McGraw. Uh,
1: oh, yes, yes, yes. The actual daughter of Tim McGraw, who got her... No, I'm kidding, but Tim McGraw is in this movie. Um,
0: Tim McGraw She is in this
1: saved movie. by her the, the world around her being depressing by someone sending her a c- commercial. Uh, <laughs> capitalism <laughs> yeah. saves the <a> day. <laughs> um, yeah. And this was something I brought to talk about which because I remember this being a big part of discourse in summer 2015 um because the scene that's a commercial is all a oneer and I remember people being starting to get mad at woners by the time this movie came out.
2: Yeah, this was like uh, a big era for Warners. I mean like cuz it was like season 1 like San Andreas, do you remember that movie? Like the Well, that's what jump? I was going to say.
1: Yeah. In like the like Tomorrowland comes out end of May. In that month, in Avengers Age of Ultron, you got a wonder. In San Andreas, you got a wonder. In the Poltergeist Remake, you got a showy wonder. You get showy wonders in pretty much every movie this month besides Pitch Perfect 2 and Mad Max Fury Road. Right? And none of them feel like they're motivated at all. <laughs> and I don't think this one feels very motivated either, other than it's a commercial. I don't it, think it's got interesting blocking. I think it's very cl- clumsily stitched. It's whatever.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind mm-hmm. of like a, an encapsulation of, like, the big problem with this era, where, like, even, like, the fucking Bye Bye Man had, like, a wonder in it. Exactly. It's just, like, it feels like it's more about the, like, the technical prowess of actually pulling it off than it is, like, the utility of it as, like, a storytelling device. Like... This movie feels like it's aping Spielberg at so many points. And it's like even Spielberg knows that you have to deploy like a one in a way that people don't really notice. And in this movie, it feels like it's intentionally made for you to notice. And because of that, it makes like what should be the centerpiece of the movie feel like really kind of like stilted and drawn out. Um, and it's a shame, too, because it's like I feel like this is like where Bird actually feels like he's like flexing his muscles and like trying to show you like you know really cool imagery and it's all kind of doled down by just being delivered to you in this sort of um i don't know boring one take long take i
1: mean Mm -hmm. i'll be real i think the
2: whole movie looks boring
1: i was shocked when i saw in the credits claudio miranda shot this um the top gun guy
3: mm
1: -hmm. top gun guy life of pi guy is who i'm more because you know this is more around life of pi but yes both guys you know what i mean like it's, that's what he's doing at this time is he did life of, i think this was his follow-up to life of pie let me ch- double check that but i really do think because life of pie was obviously a long project no he did oblivion and then he did tomorrowland
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then since then he's only really done joseph <coughs> kaczynski films
2: yeah a digital filmmaking wonderkind. yeah he did
1: it, curious case of benjamin Button.
2: yeah and it feels like that sort of like is really underutilized here, except for this one scene, which I feel like it isn't utilized properly. Just like nothing about this movie really works, <laughs> which I feel like we've yeah. already said a hundred times. The pin and runs out. It, oh, sorry.
0: Oh uh, well, I don't know, and maybe it goes without saying, but like the utopian vision of Tomorrowland is terrifying, and <laughs> is just yeah so just I, I, this seems like like a place where people are oppressed you know
2: yeah it is almost curious that like so much of it is just like technological gadgetry and stuff i sent a screenshot to danny like before we recorded this where a version of this scene exists on youtube and it's not titled like tomorrowland long take scene or like tomorrowland pin scene but it's titled the future of spacex hyperloop and tesla and it's like mm-hmm. this is the Elon Musk showcase in this scene. Just like I didn't all these notice, fancy like, gadgets, Isn't there like a Tesla
1: like, ad in the? Isn't there a Tesla ad in the commercial too? God, I don't even remember. At some point in Tomorrowland, mm-hmm. you can see like an ad for like a Tesla charging shop. It's either during the commercial or like. Oh, later I feel like it's in the, the
2: final montage. They show a guy building an electric car, and that's supposed to be like you know. Oh, he's a
1: he's final a dreamer. So, I'm glad we have something dumb to talk about at the mm-hmm. end. Uh <laughs> Um, well,
0: but any, anyway, she watches this fucking commercial, and she has a moment with a bad boy in prison. Yeah, I actually, I, I like the cuts. I I like the, that
1: was what this movie's marketed on, was like, the need of touching a pin and
2: entering a parallel universe. Yeah, it was marketed um, on one scene, basically. Yeah, Mystery box yeah.
1: marketing at its best.
2: Yeah, I feel like this is where Bird's actually, like, a good director, and he's also, like, first and foremost a cartoonist, because he's, like, he's getting a lot of like slapstick comedy out of like her just like bumping into walls and shit and like you know walking in a lake like when her pen deactivates um and i
1: think it works better here than it does later because later on some of this other stuff
2: Uh, pops up and it just feels so awful later is like hilarious but in a way that they completely did not intend for it to be (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, well, anyway anyway she um she takes care of that and then is that when she runs into the robot girl?
2: Yeah, so basically what happens is she wants to find out like more about this pin, so then she finds out that there's like a store in Houston that is asking to buy the pin because it's like a sort of like a a like retro sci-fi collectible store. Um but there's mm-hmm. no phone, so she has to like take a Greyhound bus to get there. Um and at the same time, too, like, Rafy Cassidy, the robot girl, is, like, trying to track her down because she's the one that gave her the pin in the first place. And she doesn't want, like, the pin to fall into the wrong hands, which is basically what happens when Keegan-Michael Key and Catherine Hahn show up in this movie
1: now, for one scene. Can we, can we talk about how Keegan-Michael Key shows up and he's just being Keegan-Michael Key, which is fine. We That's why we hire him. But then Catherine Hahn is doing, like, some very, like, clear, like, robot stuff like even before she's she watching like nuclear
2: bomb test footage on the tv
1: <laughs> she, she's she's mm-hmm. like walking very like robotically she like talks in a monotone like she's clearly trying to be a robot and, and yeah. keegan michael Key's like i'm and key keegan from key key and key. peel is just trying
2: to be <laughs> key from Key and peel
1: <laughs> key yeah. being the one person of color in the entire film
2: <laughs> yeah a
1: yeah. robot who dies on screen <laughs> very quickly <laughs>
0: If you, if you want to be in a Brad Bird film, you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I, after get this, in there. I'm not going
2: to ever be in a Brad Bird film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. To be honest, Brad I don't Bird's... even know how he
2: feels about this. Like, because I, I feel like when he went on to direct Incredibles too, like that is a good movie. I have problems with it, but it's a good. It is a good movie. It feels like a retreat after his live action co- career kind of floundered with this. Well, I mean I
1: if I'm a studio, I'm not giving him any money after this.
2: Yeah. Like, which, I mean, to be honest, there's there's probably worse directors that belong in director jail. So. <laughs> uh, there
0: there definitely are. It's just, I mean, I don't know. You didn't, I feel like you it's very said...
1: rare someone makes something like. Because here's the thing about John Carter, right? I think John Carter, for all of its failings, shows that Andrew Stanton could direct, like, a Star Wars movie for hire, right? Like, and you he hand tried. him a script. Well, I think he does it. I think the direction of John Carter isn't the issue. It's like the script, it's the marketing, it's the fact that no one's going to be appealed by it. I think if you hand him like solo a Star Wars story, not solo is still going to bomb. But like you hand him like Star Wars Episode Nine, he probably would have done a better job than J.J. Abrams with it, right? I think you hand Brad Bird any franchise after this, you realize, oh no, he's going to like rewrite the script a ton and make it bad, or like he's going to put his ideas in, it and we don't want that. I think right? that's mm-hmm. what I more mean.
2: See, but the thing is, I think he's a good screenwriter when he has, like, a good idea. And this is just, like, a, a bad idea, bad theme for a movie. And I feel like he just couldn't direct himself out of, like, a writing hole.
1: I think he's a good screenwriter when he can animate and he can fix the movie as it goes on. Yeah. That, that's my, my take. Because uh, I think Incredibles 2 also has issues. And it's because, you know, famously lost a year of production time type of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mm-hmm. think it's really just, he's a good writer if you give him time, but, like, obviously when you're on a, f- like, doing a live-action movie, you can't fix it as you go. Um, I'm sure he thinks there's issues with this movie, but I'm sure he also is like, well, oh, it's it's what I set out to make, you know? Um, I don't know. I'd Maybe, love someone to know. ask him about this who likes this movie more than I do. Because I think I would be too combative about the film for him to give me any answers. So. Yeah.
2: No. So. Yeah. If we have... so. The, the key and han fight scene which is really awkwardly choreographed and it feels more like an excuse for disney to show off that they got the star wars sound effects in the lucasfilm purchase
1: yeah. can i say one thing is i have the dvd copy of this and it opens <laughs> with two trailers from um, the public library we got a library this was the bit i had prepared so i'm gonna do the bit first i'm gonna make my point is this is what i have to do with the library i have Tomorrowland. I have Surfs Up because I checked it out for our last episode to watch The Chub Chub Save Xmas. And then I have three overdue movies that I never the got a time to watch. What? The What? I
2: don't the know Chub what Chub, Chub
1: Save it. Xmas. Oh my god. <laughs> then I have three movies that I have to return to the library that I never got around to watching in there William Friedkin's The Boys in the Band, Pedro Almodovar's Dark Habits. And William Friedkin, another William Frequent, the night they raided Minsky's. Will I ever watch any of these movies? Who knows what they're due at the library? You watched Tomorrowland mm-hmm. instead. Yes, I did. But the point I was going to make is Tomorrowland opens with two trailers on the DVD, one of them being inside out's DVD release, so who cares? But the other one being Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and you know that kind of also falls in this whole Tomorrowland thing, where um, it's the same reason Star Trek and the Darkness kind of didn't do well. All the mar- all the talk around Star Trek and the Darkness was. JJ just said he's going to do Star Wars. Why don't we talk about Star Wars? And where it was, I feel like all the talk around this movie was Brad Bird was offered Star Wars, turned it down to make this. Because Brad Bird was the first choice for Star Wars Episode Seven. They just, he just was like, no, I'm I'm in production on Tomorrowland. I can't leave it. Uh, Which I think is very interesting. Because I think Brad Bird on Star Wars would have been, because Star Wars, you know, the first draft is done by Michael Arndt, who's like a Pixar alum. So obviously Brad Bird probably like, likes him a decent amount you know like
2: yeah um
1: i very much am curious about the world where we get to talk about star wars episode 7 on this podcast instead of tomorrowland whatever that universe looked like (laughs) um because i'm sure a a world where he does star wars episode 7 is a very different i don't think we get incredibles 2 you know i don't know if he does Mm -hmm. episodes i don't know if he does episode 8 but like he would go on to do like other movies you know very interesting career path he could have taken Um, And I also think, you know, the arrival of Star Wars kind of kills like projects like Tomorrowland where a wrinkle in time is just kind of left over from it.
2: Yeah, this Um, definitely feels like the end of an era for like a certain type of Disney, like blockbuster, like specifically a live action blockbuster. Like, I mean, they had like John Carter, they had Lone Ranger before this, like tons of live action failures. And this one felt like it should have been on paper, like they like they should have aced it and they didn't. And That's why I feel like we saw this sort of pivot into them just being, like, the evil studio, if they weren't already. Because yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this is, like, a anyway. year
1: after Maleficent, too. Yeah. So it's, like, shifting into that remake set. And Year of Cinderella, so.
0: Yeah. So, so, they, so they defeat Keegan-Michael Key and Katherine Hahn. And then they drive away from the comic shop. And then... Some more robots. This is like show an up. hour
1: into the movie, by the way. Yeah, we get like we, got lot of, into the film. we got a lot of we get a lot of
2: wacky robot hijinks, which is like the more robot hijinks there are in this movie, like you can see the movie just like completely falling apart, like just falling. Who's the his actor axis. who plays like the main bad robot? God, I don't is, even know. It looks like a like a Disney Channel actor.
1: He's he's he's, he's solid in a lot, and uh, you know what? Good for him. I'm sure he was directed that way. <laughs> the scene where um the he meets the cops is very vintage bad bird like that to me feels right out of the incredibles you know
2: see i feel like i kind of like some of the robot comedy in this because it feels like a distraction from like how bad the movie is getting like in real time like you get that that f- fucking awesome scene <laughs> where <laughs> Rafe cassidy is like running at super speed jumps on the back of a, a pickup truck like terminator sky like Terminator style, like Brit Robertson is like screaming at the top of her head as she like breaks, and then the robot girl plows like right through the back of the pickup truck. And it's like, what did this movie become? What happened?
1: <laughs> I just like the, the fact. That I, I I just imagine Bob Iger watching like dailies of this and being like, "Well, Brad's never stirred us wrong before." <laughs> this is yeah. so I might not get it, like but it. Brad's pretty good at this stuff. So maybe people will
2: like it when like a little girl robot gets like hit head on by like a pickup truck, a Chevy Silverado, at like forty I can't miles. Say I understood up.
1: Ratatouille when I saw it for the first time ever. So maybe this Brad Bird knows what he's got to <laughs> yeah, figure <maybe>. out. <laughs>
2: But basically the point is, you know, this robot girl, you know, believes in her, thinks that she's like uh, an optimist that can like, you know, save the future, uh, which By just being positive find out later. Another thing we will find out later in this movie, and she's going to take him to meet Frank Walker up in like upstate New York, who now lives on like this like uh, disheveled lane like, ugly looking house in the middle of nowhere. With all his inventions, yeah. and he's and this is when we finally get, uh, no, we don't finally get George Clooney. We get him in that awful opening scene. We finally get him in the real movie, uh, with his face, for some reason, completely obscured because it's like backlit by the sun.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and then we uh, it's backlit by the sun for a long time. Yeah, it's a really weird shot. <clears throat> That's oh my god! You know that Walter Murch edited this thing. I'm, and I'm I sure he feels, he feels like these. it's...
1: I gotta assume him editing this had to be, like, an emergency call-in. Like, you know? Like, I feel like he had to be the addition... You know like, Thelma Shoemaker edited The Snowman? That's what the Walter Merch credit feels like to me. <laughs> it's mm. like, we needed someone who can fix this, and Walter yeah. Merch tried his hand, and it was like, alright. <laughs> Get a
0: professional on this ASAP. <laughs> There's just so much crazy shit like that, and, like, in the opening, which obviously is not the greatest example of what the movie is even trying to do anyway but like when it goes in on the countdown clock and then it just holds on the countdown clock for fucking ever while they keep talking well it's, before, a, it's a funny and you freeze think, frame like, the screen and it was really broken. funny
2: wasn't it it
0: was like yeah <laughs> <in a group. laughs> <It> was
1: like...
0: <laughs> i just i don't know this, the whole thing is like that where it's like yeah. it really is i can't I can't believe how this film was directed. Yeah, you know,
2: so so George Clooney tells her, "It's like you thought you were part of something bigger. Well, you're not. Like what you were shown isn't like a real place anymore. So the best thing for you to do is just get lost and go back to where you came from." And of course, you know, uh, Britt Robertson, Miss Casey Newton, the eternal optimist, instead waits outside his doorstep before she can find a way to sort of never way in, which is how we, f- which is when she finally. I am so impressed that you remember so. I much know exactly. Once again, I, <laughs> I, 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 I am I, an expert and here. And Don't doubt my credentials. I be like,
1: they go inside and he, she sees his TVs. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I have the file
2: up on my computer and I am skipping through it right now. I am at the scene oh, okay. Where she's pulling up like the image projector gun thing. I <laughs> probably don't even remember this, but this is yeah. um. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> this no, is I remember first... that
1: because it's like she holds it in a way that looks weirdly distorted. That Athena has like a giant head. Yeah,
2: and that's how we find <laughs> out that that George Clooney and the robot girl kind of had a thing when George Clooney was a kid, and that Which, they were like yeah. sort of boy, is weirdly girl t- crush.
1: too big of a thing in this movie.
2: Which yeah, it becomes a really weird element early, later in this movie, but. You know this Look, is man. I think this is also the scene where we're introduced to the like the Doomsday clock, which is like this sort of device that George Clooney has where it's like uh, basically wired into like all these it's like all, all these like cable news like stories about like like death and destruction around the world, <laughs> like like government unrest and things like that. and there's a giant 100% probability of the world ending screen um, just to let you know how bad things are and how negative the world is. Um, but
1: don't worry when Britt Robertson says, well, maybe we can change
2: it. It, it goes down to like 99%, the... and and then <laughs> and then George Clooney's like, Nundy! Maybe, <laughs> no. what do you mean?
1: What do you say that again! <laughs> keep, keep, keep saying that! let see if we can make it go
2: lower. <laughs> yeah. I mean, see here's the thing about like the doomsday clock stuff. like, I kind of admire that this movie is willing to sort of to not be totally baked in literalism. Like when this movie people talk about, they're like, Oh, this movie says the world is going to end in 60 days. If people aren't positive enough. And it's like, I don't think that Brad bird is being like a complete literalist about that. Like he's showing like nuclear bombings and like ice caps melting at like the exact time. I think he's trying to like place this movie within like the realm of metaphor. Like this is essentially a fable. Um, and I feel like but it's a dumb fable. It's a sure. dumb favor. Problem. I thought
0: that exact. I had that thought. Think that fucking thought. Watching that, this, yeah. I it was it was like a it was like a mean joke that I made to myself. I was like, you know, when like all the dialogue is like so fucking unnatural. None of the action fucking connects to from one part to another. All the people look like you. You ordered um, like American girl. Off of like generic superstore.com, like, surely this film must be a fable. This can't be, this isn't like naturalistic. This isn't about like one, this isn't about storytelling. It's about like communicating, it's distancing, it's about communicating something to the audience. Yes, exactly. I I mean, like, literally,
2: like, when when like he uh, talks to us, he talks to the camera. (laughs) When when Britt Robertson's like, oh, don't we like uh, we make Mm -hmm. our own destiny? And the number briefly flashes to like ninety nine. It almost feels like like a Tomorrowland like theme park attraction. Like that's something where the audience would be like, like no, 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 say more positive stuff. Say more positive stuff. Make the number. I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time too, like yeah, I think this movie's trying to be play around with metaphor, which feels like. It feels weirdly like a breath of fresh air considering how literalist most of the Disney stuff got and most of contemporary blockbusters got this past decade. But at the same time too, it's like it it does a very bad job at it. I'm I
0: sorry posit- I got heated, guys.
1: Yeah. I posit that we skip the next 20 minutes cuz it's just them just being attacked by robots. Yeah, <laughs> so that's running a robots. The next 20 minutes of this
2: movie are like bullshit. <laughs> the only thing I really remember it is Britt Robertson taking like a baseball bat to that guy's one head, which is probably the funniest thing I like the movie. part.
1: I actually do like the part was, where like the I arm is attached to her, and she has to figure out how to get her arm out. That was a fun little action beat, I thought. Yeah. There's one part at the end of this movie I think is legitimately cool, by the way. I will give the movie credit for that when we get to it, but I remember thinking that earlier when we were recording, like, there's one part of this movie I liked, and it's near the end, so keep yeah. that in mind when we get to the end. But um, the other thing that happens in this whole segment is like they go to Paris through like a teleporter thing, they don't really explain it. She's like, don't worry,
2: just teleport to you. Don't think about it. Don't it's basically like, it. it's it really only functions like both, one, as an excuse to deliver more exposition about how like the secret society that created Tomorrowland was created, how it was like all these oh. famous inventors. And we, and it's we, also we get just told that Nikola to Tesla to and
1: Thomas Edison worked together and were friends but actually they hated each other. Yeah, And then we get a point where they, it's like in my play I wrote that went last weekend where I have characters go to the screen and go like, yeah, well, actually, it's Wonder of Life* is popular because it temporarily fell in the public domain. Uh, and we—I'm saying that because Britt Marling turns—Britt Robertson turns to the
2: screen and goes, <laughs> so "You're gonna keep messing that up."
1: Actually, you know, alternating current—the the, the, the ACDC dc conundrum.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't want to give too detailed of a plot summary of this part of the movie because it really is just like this is the set piece part of the movie, and it's not very great set pieces. But when this is when it's like the plot becomes less important. And it's just an excuse to finally get us to Tomorrowland, which as it turns out, is not the place that we thought it was. It's actually a pretty good place itself. Um, and it's run entirely by Hugh Laurie, who has been behind all the evil robots, sending them uh, after our main characters, trying to get them captured or killed in the first place. And it's uh, all because a long ago, a long time ago, uh, George Clooney was uh, forced out of this uh alternate dimension world uh because he created uh this doomsday device that could uh what is the name
1: of it i forget what it is because it does have a name
2: the monitor it's basically the monitor. like they say that it uses like these faster than light particles to like predict the future like some it's, it's it's like science gobbledygook which i i can't i can't really like begrudge the movie for doing because it's got to find a way to like some way to incorporate like what they're trying to get across
1: what it actually is is a satellite beaming images of dystopia into people's minds yeah so (laughs) and and i want to point out that like casey like immediately accuses hugh laurie of doing this and hugh laurie should be much more like that's not me (laughs) he immediately passes up to it it's like she has no basis in this accusation at all. Yeah, she's just—he's just like, yeah. So what? Of course I did <laughs> it. Like, yeah. yeah.
2: Um. So I mean, we get you know the scene where she's like going further into the future, and then she finds out like the world is actually going to end, and that it's completely not. It, this this fate is completely not preventable. There's nothing that anybody can do to stop it Because that's just what's going to happen Like bombs are going to go off Like governments are going to fall apart Like the, uh, the ice caps are going to melt And there's nothing that can be done about it Except uh, Britt Robertson's like Like but I refuse to accept that And then suddenly the future changes For a little bit And Hugh Laurie's like
1: this No, no I want the future to be bad, No, no nah. Give me this optimism No no! No. Ah, yeah. no, no, optimism for Earth. Oh, just for me!
2: It's such a stupid optimism movie. Optimism bad! It's such a stupid movie. Um, but yeah, so then he immediately
1: throws the three of them into a cool set of a jail. Very yeah. cool jail set. So of
0: course, yeah, let final... empty, empty space. Just like put them in the volume.
1: But yeah. it was before the volume existed, so it looks cool. So it doesn't look
0: cool. They're in a fucking oval in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's
1: not the ball. It's probably like, ah, shit, we got some leftover sets from Tron Legacy. Fuck, get rid of the neons. There were were no sets
0: on
2: Tron Legacy. Come on. That was a CGI movie. You hack. (laughs) I'm sorry. You (laughs) hack. I assume assume Claudio Miranda kept some at his house. Okay. He
1: keeps the light bites at his house. Jesus Christ. All right.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then, I mean, that's when they, uh, uh, Britt Robertson correctly deduces that this is not, in fact, a vision of the future of things to come, but is in fact a a signal of bad futures being broadcast to the entire world. Uh, for some way, I have no idea what, but um, essentially Tachyons. is creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> tachyon, yes,
1: tachyon is the uh, constantly used technobabble word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, which
2: which essentially is is a uh, con- self-fulfilling prophecy that is convincing people that the world will end uh but at the same time is just basically creating conditions for it to end. It's a it it doesn't really make any sense, which is why I'm like tripping over my words trying to But then Hugh it. Lowry gives a monologue. Yeah, exactly. So they confront about... Hugh Laurie when they're about to be kicked out of Tomorrowland and then suddenly Hugh Laurie just goes off about uh dystopian fiction it's in so, general. Which so is the, the biggest scene because... that I think that people criticized from this movie that well, came out being like what is this?
1: One of Brad Bird's most famous jokes in the incredibles is you slide dog you caught me monologue
3: yeah
2: and
1: what does this movie have I mean, it's like, a straightforward villain monologue
2: look look man look Brad bird <laughs> likes his like flowery dialogue i mean like he there's like plenty of moments in the incredibles where he goes off this is what i'm like, gonna look, i'm looking at
1: the tomorrowland monologue because yeah that, that monologue is really rough <laughs> yeah I, this insane. is the this is the
2: vague like sort of Raising eyebrow moment of the movie Being like, really? Like, Oh my god, I already mean
1: this is so long
2: (laughs) Yeah So oh god, where do I even start with this? So he basically says like You know, when we realized what was going to happen You know, if people kept going down The path of negativity I guess, or just lack of Innovation or progress or something He decided that he would broadcast These images to the people of Earth As a, uh Way to get them to change their ways, but instead they embraced the apocalypse and refused to do anything about it because they were just too cynical to imagine a better future for themselves. uh So, basically, basically what Bradbury's trying to say here is that people are the reason that the world is going to end is because people are too cynical and not uh and they want to watch the Hunger Games and uh,
1: they watch the Hunger Games and Mad Max.
2: Yeah, I mean, here's the <laughs> thing too. Like, I don't want to boil it down to say like oh that it's that simplistic of an argument because i actually i think that he's he's kind of right in a way where i feel like people are really cons- basically take like the misery and the, the abject like suffering in the world and use it as a way to basically like Prevent themselves from taking any action in their own lives to like combat it or something. Like I feel like this is why like when people be like are like oh well you know I'll just like throw a piece of litter on the street because like it doesn't really matter everybody else is, is you know littering which is so there's no nothing that I can do on my in, I, I in my own individual life to prevent it. But the thing is the like overall... it's it's delivered in such like a hackneyed and like really like like flowery way that just completely like takes you out of the movie.
1: I think if you remove that stuff about like how bad it is to enjoy like video games, TV shows, movies, books about like the apocalypse, the entire monologue to me is much less of like I'm going to dismiss it out of hand. But that point is just so patently ridiculous and like in a way like an argument for the movie's existence in a way that just feels like no, fuck you, you better like my movie because if you don't like my movie and you like those other movies, then you want the world to end. And that is wrong. And I know that's not the whole point of the argument, but that is the point of that part of the argument to me. And I'm just like, it's such a wild thing to throw in there with this stuff like, obesity and starvation, how does that work? Like, what are you guys doing yeah. here? <laughs> so that,
2: that's the thing too, like he throws in the line which feels like it's like a, like an advice animal like 2011 meme where being like, we have, like, epidemics of both obesity and starvation like what the heck and it's like yeah it's because of like class and like access to food around the world like that's the thing too. Is, this movie, it, that's the course, thing like that's a real Bradford, problem there's nothing that's class it has nothing like, to do yeah. if like somebody didn't come up with the idea of like i'm gonna create a device that gives people a better diet or something like that like it is nothing to do with like people not having ideas or, like, people not uh, conceiving of things. And same thing, too, of, like, depiction of depictions of dystopias. Like, it has nothing to do with, like, people creating a self-fulfilling prophecy for themselves. Like, dystopias are more of a reflection, less of the future, and more like a reflection of, like, where we are now. And it's, in fact, dystopias that can have, like, the most hopeful messages. Like, we talked about hey, Fury, Fury Road. Fury Road! Literally.
1: Fury Road's one of the most hopeful movies, like... Like in twenty fifteen, like in like, Fury Road's a movie I always walk away from feeling vaguely like just felt. I don't like. I don't want to say full of hope because that's very redundant to what we've been talking about. But it's like when I see like Furiosa and Max stare at each other and Max give the head nod, I just feel euphoria. You know, like it's a movie that's and it's full of moments like that, and it's something where I always say like uh, I'm trying to think. I, I say this all the time. It's like. You can treat your characters like shit and put them in a shitty world. And if you somehow manage to pull off and give them a happy ending, me me to believe in it. That gives me more hope than anything else. Right? Yeah.
2: And it feels like this is less of, like, a demand for more optimistic entertainment than it is more for, like, for more, like, optimistic, empty Disney movies. Like, this is essentially, like, the prescription for, like, like dystopia is that people should just, like, consume... Like less complex, like just ha- like em- emptier, happier media or something like that. Um, which is it's just something not, where just the weird, weird thought I works. just
1: had is like Brad Bird probably is, and this is actually probably not true because Brad Bird probably hates it all because he probably hates the franchise, how the franchise has been made. But Brad Bird in this mob I makes mean, you think he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I love the Disney Star Wars show, like the Mandalorian, but Andor, ugh, no, like get that. Get that dark stuff out of here. Like, that's too, like, depressing, you know? Like, that that's the vibe I get from this in a way. It's like, this is meant to be fun. Sci-fi is meant to be fun and for kids. How dare you make it complex and, like, tough on them. Kids need to think about how great the future can be. Which, also, again, the whole thing is, like, kids. It's like, alright, I don't think there are really any kids' dystopia stuff anyway.
2: Yeah. So. You, like, you know Children and Men? Like that movie is like the probably the ble- one of the bleakest dystopias in like a major studio movie. Like literally, th- there's no more babies being born. Humanity is going to go extinct like in about a century from now, and that movie still f- manages to find like a hopeful ending amid all that like abject misery and suffering. So, I don't know what what <laughs> what Brad Bird's excuse is for that. Because the thing about the ending of this movie, it just kind
1: of makes me roll my eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just really just makes me roll my eyes.
2: Um, and this right, is... A, I want to... Yeah, look, sorry, I just one more thing on this, too. Like, I just think, like, uh, we. I, one of the arguments that comes up online, too, is, like, Brad Bird's, like, an objectivist. Or, like, Brad Bird's, like, an Ayn Rand, like, you know, libertarian, free market, like, we need, like, you know geniuses should just be allowed to do what they want without any like consequences because they're geniuses and they've like earned it through their own like intellect or worth and i don't think that that's true like i feel like that's kind of like a baby's first philosoph- like philosophical reading of a movie i feel like brad bird's more of like a sort of you know classic like like good-hearted liberal that believes that there's extraordinary people out there but that they have like you know gifts that need to be shared with the whole world not just themselves um but at the same time too like i feel like this movie isn't asked like it's not demanding like that we imagine like a better future with like a more equitable society or like a more you know like more access to like technological innovation or like less hoarding of like you know these sort of like you know like economic resources Or like social inequality. And it's more just like, you know, we just need like people to believe and like just believe that there's like hope or just believe that there's like some sort of optimism, which this feels like such like an Obama era movie. And just like where they just absolutely did not see what was going to come next year in 2016. Like, oh, it turns out hope is not everything like you actually like there's like real like sort of I don't know. But
1: here's the thing I think is really... I don't want to get really too much into this, because this is, like, a big can of worms we don't need to open. But one thing I did notice during this movie that I thought was really interesting is, like, you know, during the depressing stuff at the beginning when she's at the jail, there's a very clear shot of Obama, like, you know, the Obama, like, the president being in, like, the prison of Obama in the background. To me, I was like, that's unusual for me to see this in, like, a modern film. Like,
2: I don't know. That's just a random thought I had while I was watching. I mean, those television scenes are kind of... Curious to me too, because it's all like you can tell. Like some, the imagery someone the wasn't broken. watching
0: Transformers around this time, yeah. because Obama's in those movies. Danny,
2: it's
1: true. Mm-hmm. He's also in Kingsman: The Secret Service. Yeah,
0: I mean, this is another thing too.
1: <laughs> Same year oh, as God. As <laughs> Jesus.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's another thing There's too. With, of like those uh um, <laughs> with those. uh I wanna say like those those that newsreel footage. It's like it's all meant to sort of evoke like Arab Spring like imagery and like unrest in the Middle East and I feel like it's I don't you know, I'm I'm not really like a hashtag problematic kind of critic, but at the same time too I look at stuff like that and I'm like, damn, Bradford just like really doesn't like witnessing like, you know, uh political unrest in like another part of the world that may be indirectly caused by like you know uh Western but hey if we hope
1: it away if we dream it away yeah. then that exactly. won't
2: exactly <clears throat> like that's uh. that's to me like the really big issue with this movie and it's like i don't know man i don't know why you just don't lean into like the retro aesthetic more and just like lean into the stuff that like major earlier projects interesting don't try to make like a political statement as simplistic as this that it's all comes down to like hope and optimism and that like you know if we just instill like uh this sort of like dreamer mentality and like our children that they're just going to be like, we're just going to automatically produce like a better future society. It's like, no, maybe we should talk about things like nuclear proliferation and climate change and the rise of authoritarianism and actually talk about that in like a mature way. And then maybe you'll actually have like a better message for not just your movie, but for like the children that are watching it.
1: I also think to point out very, I agree with all that. I think talking about the point of the movie not also detriment, like distract from the fact that I feel like even if a movie was this problematic, if it was entertaining, I might be able to forgive it. <laughs> like, you know, like if this movie had like likable characters, good action yeah. scenes, funny I mean, jokes, I might be able to look past all of
2: this. I mean, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that's always what it none comes of down, that. down <laughs> to. I mean, that's, that's always what it comes down to. Like, I feel like Brad Bird movies, like, you know... Of course, like, they have their weird sort of politics. I mean, not in the way that everybody discusses where he's, like, an Atlas-shrugged fanboy. I don't think that's true. I think they all, they still have their own weird politics, but, God, like, The Incredibles, like, amazing movie. Ratatouille, like, really entertaining movie. Like, Ghost Protocol, even Ghost Protocol is, like, a throwback movie in a way, because it's, like, Mission Impossible was trying to, like, update their movies for, like, a more modern aesthetic, and, like, even there, Brad Bird, in a complete, like, four higher role, is still bringing that back to, like, you know, the old, like, Cold War showdown, America versus Russia, nukes and everything. And he manages to, like, make a fun movie out of that. This is a... This one, this Tomorrowland, is a fucking boring movie.
0: Yeah. Uh, it must be a message. I don't okay. know. I kind of want to push back on, like, the personal politics of Brad. Br- I know that Danny's like, no, M- Mark, I'm trying to... Like we want to reach the end of the movie, and this is what I don't want to talk about. But I want to push back just because, like in this film, Keegan Michael Key literally says, "I'm not going to quote him. I'm not going to like give more time to this fucking thing going and check." It, but he literally, he's like, "Let's build a secret society made up with only like artists and engineers and inventors and shit like that, and make them all go live separately." And then we learn that Nyx is a villain. Because he decided to transmit um, negative images of the future to like our dimension, not because he believes in this secret society, which like could make someone a villain. No, no, no. George Clooney is the also... one sorry, that sorry, on. supports this thing. So the movie ends up being like, hey, you remember that crazy Keegan Michael Key guy? It's like, no, he's right. We can actually just like do this, you know. I don't know, like this is what I mean when I say that this film has like unlocked the auteur Brad Bird theory thing to me is like, oh, well, it's I mean this kind of does explain everything else that there are these like special individuals where if you gave them the reins, then they would be able to fix everything.
2: Yeah. Well, I feel like before I completely dissemble, maybe we should get to the end of the get to the end of the movie okay like all of right court, so mm.
1: I, I want to jump in just very quickly and say i did have the realization mark's little thing there that i i feel like there are no people in smartland besides governor nix i feel like everyone else is a robot
2: yeah i don't really know that's a thing another thing this movie does. it makes really it pretty explore, easy for them to take over at
1: the end because no one is there
2: yeah so <laughs> Basically, the end is, of course, they defeat him. Like, you know, uh, they wait, wait. essentially use the self-destruct. Oh, I, sorry.
1: I like, this is the thing I told you. There's something at the end I thought that was really cool. I like the moment where it looks like George Clooney is going to get shot, got shot. But then it pans over and reveals Athena just saw a vision and she jumps in front of him, saving him. And it's like shot. exactly. That's like very much like an animation moment type of thing where like Bradburn's like, oh, yeah, I can just swap in the models, you know, but like obviously that's not how they did it i just think that's a cool moment that's like the payoff to the it is, it's cool. otherwise kind of cool. lame yeah. like effect of like how the future manifests itself around them yeah but sure i thought that was really neat i like sure. that a, it's the one cool effort. one cool visual in this movie to me yeah. i'm just saying so
2: yeah of course they defeat uh hugh Laurie. um they drop a building on they him. drop a building <laughs> on him uh they use essentially uh they use essentially the robot girls like like essentially dying robot body to like self-destruct the monitor it comes crashing down which is another thing we haven't really touched on the the weird george clooney reefy cassidy uh semi romance in this movie and to be honest it's probably a good idea we don't touch on it because yes it's really weird and it's like i'd have no i don't really know what they were going for here like it just doesn't work. It doesn't work it's weird when, like, on like
1: every single level. And if we break it down, this is going to be We're here feeling disgusted yeah. talking. Like, about it doesn't it, work so. earlier
2: in the movie when George Clooney and like Rafe Cassidy are having like like a, a boyfriend-girlfriend argument literally in like in the car about like who ditched who. And then like you have like Rafe Cassidy delivering like her final thoughts about uh you know, I don't know, like about the time that she spent with George Clooney when he was a kid, or something like that, it's like it's probably just not worth addressing. <laughs> just, just worth categorizing as really, really weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And, of and then course, the end of the movie is a, a college recruitment ad. It is a yeah, it's a Monsanto <laughs> ad. It basically it's a Tesla ad. <laughs> That's like the thing that I came across when I was watching. Anyone can a time. Tesla. Where I was like, yeah, you know, like, you could be, like, a, a guitarist in Japan. You could be, like, a, a farmer. You know what you I think? be, like, be a more safari honestly, guide. But the it's like an thing...
1: iPhone had Because, you know, he's a yes, big yes, Apple guy. Literally. All these guys are Apple guys. Uh, oh, Pixar. yeah. So, it's, it's definitely, like, hey, you, the iPhone has so many great purposes for everyone in the world. Like, if you're on yeah. a safari in Africa, take a photo with your iPhone. If you're, like... If you're a street artist, well, your iPhone can help you plan out where you want to go. That's what it is. It's an iPhone commercial.
2: Yeah, I mean, literally, (laughs) it's like this sort of, it's a really fake, like, sort of hokey, like, message to leave off of where it's like, we're gonna send all these new robot children out into the world to deliver these pins to all these, like, dreamers across the globe so that they may be inspired to, like, eventually, I guess, either find Tomorrowland or create Tomorrowland in the real world or something like that um yeah. and it feels it i mean it literally feels like it's an apple ad it's a tesla ad it's like it's just it's just like it feels like the most it's a, it's a disney ad too it, i mean like it feels like an advertisement for like disney as the sort of like you know benevolent purposeful corporation that has this, you know, you know, they don't just like make money from their movies and theme parks. They also like create a better vision for the world.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and there there you have it. All it's right, just... that's
1: that's Tomorrowland. What does this make us think about Pixar? Well, it doesn't make us think about Pixar at all. It makes us think about Brad Bird, and we've already discussed that in yeah. every way in this episode. Look, we don't final, answer that question. Yeah,
2: final thing I'll say yeah. about Brad Bird. Really talented guy. I mean, this really should have been, like, an A-plus for him. Like, should have aced it. And I feel like he just gets... He just falls behind in, like, his own writing. Like, and just because of that, even when he is able to flex his directorial chops in this movie, like, it just doesn't work. Because it's completely in service of, like, a brain-dead theme that just feels like... It feels dated only, like, eight years later. Like
3: it felt dated when
2: i saw
1: it in 2015 yeah literally yeah
2: <laughs> it's like completely been dated by like the world and like the problems that it's sort of hand waving away as like the concern there had of, to like, been think pieces when this came out about this in road yeah it really did like no like, way it's basically hand waving away the concerns of like real concerns as like the uh sort of worries of like pessimistic people Feels so weird when it's like a year later Trump is elected like climate change continues to get worse like you're I mean literally like Argentina just elected like a fascist president just like less than a month ago like things are only getting worse man and I don't think it has anything to do with like people are just not having like big enough ideas to like solve these things like people I guess people just if they create we created more electric cars or something like that the world would be a better place.
0: And I don't mm-hmm.
2: know how true that is. So,
0: is it gift-given time? Oh yes. Yeah. All right. Lots of lots of shows like to give films things. Sometimes you give them stars or thumb ratings. We here at Looking for the Ocean like to give the film like something you could actually give it, like an object, something you'd give as a gift. So each of us gets a chance to do this. I'm gonna go first. You know what? I found this movie repulsive. <laughs> this is, this, this might be the, my, I don't know. I even, I didn't feel this strongly even coming into this, but I'm, I've just gotten more and more mad at this movie. And I have to think to myself about, like, well, really, am I really understanding how transmitting a message works through film, you know? am i to understand that through the actions of the protagonist we're supposed to understand that those are the beliefs of the director i don't know if that's that's not really true but what 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 else is this movie like just garbage all around you know what's not garbage and you know what's not repulsive is the integrity and the goodness of a man like Frank Sabatka who was the treasurer of his local union um, until he got involved with the wrong crowd of course but like we all know that like underneath all of that Frank was a good guy so I I want to like forgo a gift this time and just use my time to support the re-election of Frank Sabatka for the treasurer of his local union because i i feel like he's gonna do a really good job
1: all right uh evan would you like to go next or do you want me to go
2: uh you can go danny
1: all right well um the movie's pretty bad and you know i came up with an idea earlier in this podcast so i'm not gonna give brad because i don't think brad Bird deserves it after making this but you know
0: I don't know. I'm not, like, mangry at Brad Bird, really. I want to stress that. like, oh, He's a human being like everybody I actually, else. I actually but.
1: want to stress that I am mad at Brad Bird. Because here's, here's why. Here's why. Here's actually why. When this movie came out, everyone blamed Damon Lindelof for this being bad. I think everything wrong with this movie is because of Brad Bird. I don't think Damon Lindelof had shit to do with the script being bad. Yeah. At the very <laughs> like... least,
2: there is a shared responsibility with main credit going to Bird for this, for everyone
1: wanted to blame Lindelof
2: for this, yeah.
1: and I, I think this is, yeah, mo- mostly Bird's fault. Some Lindelof stuff, like the the questions in it, you know, like the the refuse to answer questions. That's a very Lindelof thing, but like most of the stuff is Bird. And Dad, uh, but- remember
0: the story about the the two wolves? Yeah, and and when you said one of them. That's right. There are two wolves inside of you. And you know what happens? There's a wolf that means despair and one that means hope. And you know what happens? You gotta do with those wolves? Feed one of them? Yeah. Well no, he wouldn't say yeah, he would just like look off. And then like an alarm bell would sound off screen, and it's like, you can you can fucking write this with your pants off. I'm fucking so angry. <laughs>
1: anyway, so
0: but I did say that um I made
1: the comment that Brad Bird made of, might have like directed episode 9, right? Or like episode 7 of Star Wars. And I was thinking about, like, you know, I don't like The Rise of Skywalker. The Rise of Skywalker is probably a movie I hate more than this. Um, so I would like to give this movie Babu Frick, the one character from Rise of Skywalker people inexplicably like. Because maybe, just maybe, if I could look at a cute little sidekick for one second in this movie, it might be just a little bit better.
2: <laughs> so I'll give Tomorrowland Babu Frick. Um for me i probably already explained enough about why i don't like this movie i probably explained enough about why i like brad bird in spite of it this all is
1: probably the longest episode ever put out of tomorrow <laughs> the yeah longest analysis out it's
2: part. probably um you know i i I've, I've, maybe i got too angry about it too which you know maybe i, I don't should know be I, don't think I think i got too angry maybe, about it maybe maybe i should be even <laughs> optimistic about you know other people's failures. Um, but in the end, uh, I tried so for after so many years of watching this film, so many trying times, trying to find like something that I could, you know, like about it or something that I could find in any way redeeming about it to say that, you know, look, they gave it their all and it may not have been perfect, but there's in the end, it's a good movie. Unfortunately, we don't live in that alternate dimension. Uh, we live in the dimension where this is unfortunately both the culmination of so many Br- of Brad Bird's pet interests and at the same time to a colossal failure on his part and probably the reason that he has not directed a live action film since it came out. So for my gift to Tomorrowland, I'm going to give it a uh, special uh, ray gun from the future so that they can uh, disintegrate the script and start over again.
1: For a second, I thought you meant Ray Gun, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like the long
2: development Bradford project. Reagan. Like the present Reagan? Ray Gun. Ray oh, Gun. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. No, actually, that's a good point because he, <laughs> that's been a long just dating project of his. It might happen at, like, John Lasseter's new animation studio. The John Lasseter sort of,
1: studio just lost their contract with Apple oh so the, I, I think know. they're gonna lose a lot of money so of maybe that, it, it,
2: maybe it won't happen but if you know if you're willing to put aside like the moral dilemma of supporting like a john Lasseter project and you are still interested in like brad bird returning back to this sort of retro aesthetic like i don't know maybe there's like something to be excited about there um in part because maybe it's not going to be like a dumb message movie like this one was maybe it'll it'll be like you know um, I don't know. Maybe it'll be more of like what he was trying to get at here. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of excited to see if that one actually comes to fruition. Um, but for right now, all we really have is this, and this just isn't it. So you know, it's a wrap.
1: One thing um, I you said it's a wrap, and I mean, like one thing I forgot to mention, just because <laughs> it's gonna be a very quick mention. We usually talk about the score here. This is so forgettable. You for Gino. I don't know what he usually brings his A game of bird. This is there's nothing here. That's all.
0: Well, Evan, thank you for being on with yes, us. Yes, Evan, today. thank you. You really were this was you were you were like one of the most professional like guests that we've had. And I mean, we've had like a lot of good guests and you're one of them and I'm just want to say that like you really came in with some great thoughts and I really appreciate you for bringing that in here.
2: Yeah, thank you. That's that's an extremely high compliment for me. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, no, I mean, no. You like you have the evidence and you're backing it up, and that's good. That's true. Um, I'm putting
2: this movie on trial, is what I. Yeah. Is, is what we're doing.
0: The trial of the Tomorrowland.
1: Yeah. Written, directed yes. by Aaron Sorkin. Aaron
0: Sorkin. Do you um? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we have people who like have a social presence that they want to build. Do you want people to find you on social media for any reason or not?
2: if you want to find me on social media, if you want to sort of support me in my, uh, future endeavors, you can, um, you can also, uh, Venmo me at, <laughs> I'm just Hell kidding. Yeah. leave that out, please. Um, okay. no, but if you do actually want to support me, I have some of my student films still up on my YouTube channel. Uh, it's, um, I've had, I got a couple like, uh, cardinals which is the last film i did before i graduated from college or noise which was my sort of uh ring ripoff uh horror movie good yeah Uh, danny's seen them uh and you know they're not perfect obviously in fact they're probably not very good in their own right but you know just something that to look out for you know especially because they just got removed off of letterboxd recently and i need as much support as i can get if you're out here you know during award scene being like i don't know man like i gotta watch poor things i gotta watch poor things so bad and it's like no your girls can wait (laughs) please watch my films they're probably not worth your time but they're worth my they were worth my time making them and i'm sure that you'll might get some a little bit of something out of them maybe the charm of like watching like a student filmmaker work on like a no budget uh short film and try his best to make something out of it Mm. (laughs) but that's a that's all i got
0: (laughs) well thank you very much i'm yeah yeah definitely check that out uh danny are we gonna we think we're gonna do the dub of the boy and the heron Next time. Uh, I mean,
1: we, we, you, you do not, well.
0: Unless we're just we don't. Do the boy and the don't her- know, well, no, I'm just, just
1: saying. We're, just, we're not labeling the episode the dub of the boy and the heron. We're just doing just the boy and the heron. I'm just saying. I think I'm you know?
0: only probably going to catch the dub. But well, that's fine. I'm, but I'm just lot. saying maybe like, we're, we're going to make a bad podcast. Maybe I'll watch both. We're not going to title the
1: episode the dub of the boy and the heron, is my point. We're going to call it the boy and the heron.
3: Right? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I think I can catch both. For our New Year's episode,
1: you know, we talk about Chicken Run 2. But no one um no one's no one's chicken into his out. No nope. we, we just we, don't we, do the just, holdovers. Just, I know some,
2: <laughs> some of our friends were asking us to the do the holdovers. I don't know what it picks our podcast. <laughs> yeah, the holdovers isn't we oh, really do our
0: podcast. Holdovers That's so funny nothing. because I suggested the holdovers in the episode that we recorded yesterday, and Danny shot it down. Yeah, <laughs> so we're um, not doing I, the holdovers.
1: I pitched Wonka because Mark likes Paddington, and then Mark told me he actually doesn't. Well, let me. Finish. I like Paddington. He doesn't well love enough. Love Paddington. Like, you know, um, what if we just watch? And Stone then I just kind of was like, why don't we just do the Boy in the Hair? And it's an animated movie. Actually, you know, at some point when we run out of movies, I actually do think we will might go back and do some dubs because a lot of the early like the. Two thousands dubs like Pete Doctor directed a Ghibli dug like John Lasseter directed a Ghibli dub, Gary Rydstrom directed a Ghibli dub. So maybe when we run out of movies, we'll go back and do some Ghibli dubs. Who knows? Who knows? That's still mm-hmm. like a year away, but <laughs> we might as well but... just do like The Boy and the Heron because why not? Like <laughs> it's a new music. Well, we
0: are just we gotta watch something that we're gonna be excited about. It's been a rough yes. few weeks. I'm excited not about po- Boy The Boy and the Heron. I love
1: I saw The Boy and the Heron in October. I will catch the Mm -hmm. dub this week, hopefully.
2: Well, I I wish you both the best on your future endeavors in your Pixar compendium. Uh, I hope (laughs) that that includes the Cars 3 trailer where Lightning McQueen uh, flips over and over. (laughs) One one whole
0: episode devoted to the Cars 3 trailer. We actually
1: do have an episode coming up um, this year that I'm excited for. It's an episode dedicated to, air quotes, a short film that's called Dante's Lunch, which is just a teaser trailer for Coco. That it would have been in the past. Like labeled teaser trailer instead of a film. And that episode is going to be dedicated. To all the Pixar trailers. Like teasers. Including of course the Cars 3 teaser. Because we have to discuss the
2: Cars 3
3: teaser.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I saw you guys did an episode on a book. And I'm like these guys are doing like. Whole episodes on like a book. Like man I don't even have the time to read anymore. (laughs) That was a tough episode. That's (laughs) a lie. I probably do have time to read. I just don't feel like it. Which is probably a bad thing. All right.
0: Oh, we got you know. Um, Anyway, looking for the ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. The show is edited by Mark Young. Our artwork is done by Sarah Kanoff, or the 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 original artwork. I do the weekly images. (laughs) Sarah did the original artwork.
1: You can follow us on social media, Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and Twitter at Pixar Journey, and on our <laughs> website, Looking for the Ocean, Pixar.podbean.com.
0: You know, ori- well, originally. I think I said that Sarah did the artwork in like one of our very early episodes. And then my mom actually like messaged me like, did she do like all of the artwork like that you release <laughs> on Instagram? And I was like, oh, no, I do that. She was like, oh, okay, maybe you should like specify that. Because early on, like the art on Instagram was like shit. And I think my mom was like, don't put that on Sarah. Um but and, and I'm not saying it's like fantastic now. It's just whatever I throw together. But that's that's the origin of that. Um, Did you guys do the song in my brain. that
2: plays at the beginning of each episode?
0: Yeah, I recorded that. What uh, um, is that yeah. like an
2: original theme?
0: Uh, hell yeah, brother. It's <laughs> yeah. I I just sat down and shat that what? out. Yes.
1: Where, where can we follow you?
0: Um, yeah, you follow me on um, markyoungperformer.com and also on M Young Insta where I'm advertising a thing that I am good at which is being in plays and we've got a new play coming up in, in mid-January so if you if you are like it, all you need to know is it'll be better than better than this is it's coming up and everyone should buy tickets because that really will be amazing it's called Mr. Marmalade it's a play by Noah Hadle and um, yeah it's fantastic let's sell out all the seats we can do it and it's going to be a Great show! It's made with great people. Get tickets for that. I'll post all that on Instagram. You can follow me, Danny, at Blinkbits and Letterbox for all my takes on all the movies.
1: You can listen to my ever podcast, the Snuff Club, where we talk about all the movies with the most Oscar nominations and no wins at all. Podcast, Letterbox—that's where I am. Join us next time for
0: our New Year special about Boys and herons Boys oh, and Herons. thanks again, Evan, for coming on. Thanks again to Evan.